Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's the song of Psalm 121. And no doubt it was in the minds and hearts of the people as they watched Jesus ride down into Jerusalem on a coat. Today, we're going to look back at the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And the event is recorded in all the Gospels, so it's of great significance to the Christian. It's an event that has been saturated with religious sentiment and largely misunderstood by the Christian community. It is filled with prophetic and spiritual significance, which I'm going to believe the Spirit of God to point out to you today. Jesus rode into Jerusalem before Passover, and he rode in on what is referred to as Lamb Selection Day. It was when all of Israel came and brought one lamb for every two people in their household. It was a kind of census. The lamb was inspected for four days, and then if it met its criteria, that was no visible blemishes. It was slain on the 14th day of Nisan, the first day of Passover. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. On Lamb Selection Day, he rode into Jerusalem to be scrutinized by man for four days. They found Jesus to be blameless. Herod, Pilate, the Sanhedrin, even the thief on the cross. Found him to be without blemish. Yet on the 14th day of Nisan, at nine in the morning, at the same time when the animal Passover lambs were being brought into the temple to be slain, our perfect Passover lamb, Jesus, was nailed to a cross. At 3 p.m., as the last lamb was killed by the high priest in the temple, Jesus, the perfect lamb, cried out, It is finished, and gave up his spirit. On Passover, they would sacrifice over 250,000 lamb. The priests would drain the blood into round-bottomed pots in order to keep the blood moving and prevent coagulation. And then he would pour the blood on the altar. It's a lot of blood. Once the blood was poured out on the altar, it must be drained away. So because of the sheer volume of the blood, the priests had constructed sloughs or gutters of sorts that would drain the blood away from the altar and out one side of the temple. But the blood would coagulate quickly. So the priests would need to mix water with the lamb's blood in order to keep the blood draining out the side of the temple. John 19 Verses 33 and 34. But when they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. 
As I said, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt. For the people, Jesus arrived as a hope for deliverance from the oppression of Rome and the beginning of peace on earth for Israel. To the religious leaders, Jesus was entering a trap that would put an end to his challenge to their authority and power. To the followers of Jesus, he was finally getting the recognition that he deserved. But expectation and truth were miles apart. Jesus healed leprosy with a touch. He made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. The unclean spirits obeyed him. He stilled the storms and walked on the water. He turned five loaves and two fish into food for thousands. He brought the dead to life. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they believed that nothing would stop him from bringing to fulfillment the glory of Israel, which is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, the seventh verse says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the latter time forth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Everyone there had an expectation Everyone had an idea of what the arrival of Jesus might mean, what it would bring about, but only he and the Father really knew. They were all participating in the event, even pledging their submission by throwing their cloaks under the feet of the colt. Luke 19, verse 36 says, And as he rode along, the people kept spreading their garments on the road. They were worshiping and submitting to him in their actions. They were saying by their actions, we submit ourselves to the one who will save us from bondage. We will submit to the one who will deliver us from tyranny. We will yield to a new life of glory and prosperity for Israel. As Jesus is entering Jerusalem along with the animal Passover lambs, in Matthew and Mark's account, the people cut down palm branches, and they spread them out on the road. John twelve twelve tells us that the people took palm branches and went out to meet him. The people ran to him, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew transliteration that means give salvation now. This was not how the Jewish people celebrated Passover. Palm branches were only gathered at the Feast of Tabernacles. To tabernacle means to dwell. The Feast of Tabernacles was the feast, the last feast that God gave Israel, the seventh feast of the Lord. And it looks forward to the millennial kingdom when God will dwell with man. When Jesus will reign from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Jesus, in his journey to Jerusalem, was sending a message to the people. They're hailing him as the conquering king, their deliverer from their current captivity, the one who would dwell with them in the millennial kingdom. Luke 19, verse 37 says, As he was approaching the city at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God extolling him exultantly and loudly for all the miracles and works of power that they had witnessed. 
The disciples were entering into the spirit of the thing. They were entering into the vision of this conquering king that was entering the city of his kingdom. And they begin to proclaim victories to the crowd. And Luke 19.11 tells us that when they were nearing Jerusalem, the disciples thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. This was the very first time that Jesus allowed such fanfare. Because he knew it was necessary to drive his enemies to the fulfillment of their role in his death. Luke 19 verse 38 says, They were crying, Blessed, celebrated with praises is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin. And glory, majesty, and splendor in the highest heaven. Jesus rode in on a spring day at the time when the people were desperate for a Messiah. They were weary of the oppression of the Romans and what they had experienced at the hands of other nations. It had been some thousand years since Solomon had been crowned king. And it was nearly Passover, which is an illustration of God's deliverance. As the Father willed, it was the perfect time for the coming of Jesus. At his first miracle, at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, John chapter 2, verse 4, remember he told his mother his hour had not yet come? In John 7, when his brothers prodded him to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus said, told them, no, my time has not yet come. Well, now it was the fullness of time. It was the tenth day of Nisan, Lamb Selection Day in Israel, when Jesus, the perfect Passover Lamb, entered Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, was sacrificed for us. Father chose Jesus to enter Jerusalem on the day that would proclaim who he is as the suffering servant. He also chose the route to Jerusalem which has its own significance. He chose David's path of retreat up the Mount of Olives and over the River Jordan. And Jesus communicated to the people at the triumphal entry that he is the perfect Passover lamb who would one day sit on David's throne and dwell with his people and rule and reign from Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples began their journey to Jerusalem from beyond the Jordan. Scripture tells us from the east side of the Jordan. Now, Jesus had been ministering in Galilee. That's in Matthew 19, 1. And it tells us that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now, he could have traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem, which would have been a straight line. But he chose not to. He took a left and crossed the Jordan to get beyond the Jordan, only to recross the Jordan River on his way to Jerusalem. This approach was to communicate the Messiah had come. After crossing the Jordan River on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passed through Jericho, which was the first city to be conquered by the children of Israel in Joshua's day when they were fighting for the kingdom. And in Mark 10, verse 46, we read the crowd joined Jesus near Jericho as they began that 3,750-foot ascent into Jerusalem. 
the word had gotten out, he's coming. And the expectation was clearly messianic. And there were cries, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's in Mark chapter 10. And the people all believe that he is coming to bring them glory. But there couldn't be any glory until there was a cross. He is a king and his kingdom is to begin with conquest. But what was to be conquered was in the people, not in the government. The people were blind to his truth. They are blind to see the true enemy. They are blind to to the truth of their need. They are blind to the salvation that he brings. And I hate to say it, but we as Christians spend a lot of time in that blind mist. Luke 19, verses 41 through 42. And as he approached, he saw the city, and he wept audibly over it, exclaiming, Would that you had known personally, even at least in this your day, the things that make for peace, for freedom, from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin, and upon which your peace, your security, safety, prosperity, and happiness depends. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Would that you knew. You know, sometimes it's not that we don't know, it's that we're so distracted we refuse to see. And it's almost like we're we're confused by the fact that we have all of these distresses, but we've looked away. We've looked away from the one who rode triumphantly into our very being and who can reign triumphantly in a distressed soul. He weeps because those he came to die for were blind. They could not see the sacrifice that was being made or the glory of deliverance that was to be theirs. He weeps because he longs to see them free. He came to set the captives free and to proclaim a liberty that is eternal and never to be lost. A forgiveness that is once for all. And I believe that the spirit of Christ within the Christian is grieved by our willful blindness To all that he's given us. He grieves over our self-imposed captivity. He came to give life. A life in union with himself. That could never be severed. The people were blinded by their sin. They could not see anything but their own expectations. Have you ever been there? They saw only the needs of their circumstances. They did not know there had to be a death. Before there could be life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. None of the rulers of this age or world perceived and recognized and understood this. For if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But on the contrary, as the scripture says, what eye has seen and ear has not heard and has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared, made, and keeps ready for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him, and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and the hidden things, 
and beyond man's scrutiny. I think about that. I think we're so often like petulant children who turn our backs on our parents, look away, and fix our gaze on the trivial things of this earth. And all the while behind us, there's the glory of the sunrise. The rising sun casting such a splendor, an array of color and magnificence of brightness that it banishes the very darkness that we stand in, that we refuse to see. We are no longer to walk in darkness. We have become light. More than that, we have become the manifest light of Christ. Ephesians 5.8 For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native born to the light. Is light something you do or is it something you are? In Ephesians, we read that God has made us light to make the truth of us visible even to ourselves as well as others in order that we might see the whole work of salvation and not be fixated on the prospering and indulgence of the flesh as these people were, but on the Son himself. We see the distortion and duality of man in this account. They come to Jesus offering their submission, their loyalty, their service with the goal of their own prosperity in mind. This is natural for the lost. They have no alternative to being self-centered in all that they do, even in worship. This is not what he intended for his people. We are to grow in his life and mature in an intimate relationship with him, cultivating an unquenchable passion for him rather than a self-centered relationship. It's what we're made for. Jesus gave you his life to free you from the old self-centered existence. The old self is dead. It died with the lamb that was slain. On Lamb Selection Day, when Jesus rode in and saw the exuberant worship of the crowd, he longed for the day when they would worship him in spirit and in truth. He knew that the majority of this crowd would soon trade their hosannas in for curses. We are no longer to be ruled by the appetites of the flesh or blinded by carnal expectations. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 21 through 23. Assuming that you have really heard him and been taught by him as all truth is in Jesus, embodied and personified in him. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off, discard your old unrenewed self. That means you're wearing it. It's not who you are. Which characterize your previous manner of life. And becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. Having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to set us free. To deliver us by giving us death that he might give us life. There's so many things in my life. They've had to die a slow death in order that I might look away to the life I had. So many things had to die in order for me to know life. And I got news for you. 
the gardener is still pruning. <laughs> there are still things in my life that need to die in order that I might know life. And do I know what they are? No, I'm not the gardener. But you know what? It is love. It is faithfulness. It is mercy. It is grace. Everything that He removes from my life that is an obstacle to knowing Him. To grow in His love. To grow in my passion for Him. We need to know that a self-centered life is a delusion. It is the delusion of believing that your life and fulfillment are in the flesh. That who you are is defined by the world. Know that Jesus came into your life as a conquering king, as your continuous savior, who with one act of obedience has put a permanent end to your relationship with sin, the enemy, and the flesh as your life. Romans chapter 6 verses 22 and 23. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become the slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness and its end in eternal life. For the wages which sin pays is death. But the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. We have been blessed. Our reward is now. And now, and now, and now, forevermore. Let me ask you some questions. Did anyone there that day, other than Jesus, know what he was about to do? Did anyone there know who the enemy was that Jesus came to conquer? Could any of them see how his death would bring life? Do you think any of them knew what their role in all of this was to be? You could ask yourself those questions right now. And the answer would be, really, whether you think so or not. No, 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 and no. You don't know. All you know is Him. And that's enough. Christian, God through Jesus did not come that day to affirm his deity or to reign physically. Do you think that God ever doubts who's in control? <laughs> I don't think so. God allowed man to bring forth the instrument of death so that Christ could give life. If you are a Christian, you have life. And the will of God is that you live in the truth of life. It's not God's will that you be blind to the purpose of his coming. There must be death before you can experience the abundant life. If you believe that life is anything other than Jesus, you will experience death. If your expectation is in the prospering of your flesh, you have blinded yourself to the truth of life. If you believe that your enemies are the obstacle to your happiness, you will never know victory. If you refuse to believe in the purposes of God and put your hope in the plans of man, you will be blind to the activity of God in your life. All of these things were true of those people there. Are you seeing Jesus for who he is or are you seeing him for what he might add to your living? Matthew sixteen twenty-five. 
For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it, eternal life. And whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it, life everlasting. Our lives are not temporal. Our bodies are. If you're looking for Jesus to to make saving your temporal life the priority, you will be continually disappointed. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. You know, Jesus says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There are only two characters. There's the thief and the shepherd. There's no in-between. You're under one or the other. You're either dying a slow death or you're living into eternity. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.